Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello, and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I'm so stoked because I'm talking to Marie Cockerham. She's a nurse and a staff support specialist, and we're also joined by Sherry Constantino-Shore, who's a motivational speaker and change agent and also a nurse, both mastered, prepared. But I brought them on because I wanted to talk to them today about sort of where we are with the pandemic as healthcare providers, as nurses, like how should we frame our brains like to think about the pandemic and what we've been through. Sort of this is kind of like a mental health check-in, but um, pandemic and you. <laughs> but um, we'll just see where it takes us. But before we get into anything, welcome to the show, Marie and Sherry. Thanks so much for being here. How are you? Like, how are you really? Thank you so much, Nicole. And I think... Um, we want to start with how are you? I've, we're so happy to be here, first of all. So thank you so much for inviting us. Um, I'm kind of talking for you, Sherry. But um, no, you know, we mind them. So go for it. You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> but how is it? How are you doing, Nicole? Mm, well, I'm. Um, you know, I obviously like to be authentic on the show and real. So I'll just tell you, I'm sort of still processing um, and recovering from a really traumatic code that happened like less than 48 hours ago. Um, And so I'm like metabolizing that. Um, And, you know, I feel like I, I'm like exhausted, you know, like, I I don't know if I just, this is going to sound terrible. (laughs) I don't know if I just splooched all my catecholamines. And now I'm like, you know, dumped. So I am trying to like be very thoughtful of like, okay, drink water, eat, be kind to yourself, take your vitamins, like, no, just know, like you're going to feel exhausted emotionally. I've reached out to my therapist. I um, am going to do a formal debrief tomorrow, which I think will be really helpful. Um, But yeah, you know, I just... It was, you know, super tragic, super hard. Um, I was having some feeling of like personal responsibility, which is not real. It's just me taking that on, you know. Um, 
So um, I'm trying to like just tell my brain different things so that like I don't hold on to that stuff, you know, because it's it's not real. Yeah. So it was a bummer. It was a really big bummer. You know, somebody who was very young and like we thought, I don't know, I thought she would make it. Had I known maybe how sick they were and like really how sick they were, like maybe that would have made me feel better about the way things played out. But, you know, young deaths are really always very hard to make sense of, you know. Um, My sister is really, you know, she's a really cool individual and she thinks about things in a way like, she believes that every soul picks the time that you can, that you were going to go. So she believes like maybe that was her time she picked to go. I don't know. I don't know. But the, yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been challenging just recently for me. I feel like you said, I was just going to say, I feel like you said so much there, Nicole, that so many people who are listening to you can relate to right now. And I so appreciate you being willing to share that story with your audience, because we really get a sense of the vulnerability that you are willing to give to your listeners. And I feel like when you have a situation like that, where you, how you describe like a bit of a sense of personal responsibility that moral distress as healthcare workers like eats you. I know I've had that so many times in my career. I've been a nurse for 27 years. 20 of those years were on the front line. And I remember waking up at one in the morning, two in the morning, like, could I have done it differently? Could I have noticed something else? Was there a sign I missed? And that eats at your spirit in a way that other people who work outside of healthcare can't understand. Mm-hmm. So I love the strategies that you're describing, your coping strategies, because I mean, you literally just listed like 10 best practices. Like <laughs> what you can focus on right in front of the moment, you know, drinking, eating, taking your vitamins, taking care of yourself, debriefing, you mentioned, which is so important, reaching out to your therapist, which is so, I mean, literally, you just like that story was beautiful because you're sharing their truth and the things that we need to do as healthcare workers to try to move through some of those really things that big things and not let them like penetrate our soul in that way. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, I think it just does, right? <laughs> it penetrates your soul. And then somehow you feel you, you do all these things to, you know, patch patch it up soul patch oh my god soul patches are the worst i was just thinking about soul. <laughs> but you pat oh, you like facial facial, facial soul patch <laughs> but uh, anyway um yeah thanks i you know i yeah. i'm trying to be like okay well these are the tools in my toolbox and i know what they are and so this is when you do dig into them and then i think also it's like when will I feel better? You know, but like that'll come, it'll come. 
Um, well, and especially like when you're talking about just like that massive release of, I mean, even just energy, if we want to just call it energy, it's like that can leave you feeling so like disassociated. Like, is this, am I having a real morning? Like, am I really drinking my coffee? Like just that, like feeling that you're not grounded and connected can be like so common. And that's another reason that I really like those strategies because they're like little things that when it feels like when everything feels too big, which that's the sense that I get just like that exhaustion and everything feels too big. Like, what is this like one tangible thing? Like my vitamins that I can pay attention to, you know, and that I think that like slowly helps us to like anchor back. So I, I like that piece too. And just want to acknowledge like that, that depletion is so real. And I know that everyone that's listening has felt that before when they have been working or had something in their personal life that like incited that type of response. So that like draining of your sympathetic nervous system is very real. That is it, man. That's it. Like yesterday I was like, I'm like, I, I, my head was not on straight yesterday, like at all. I, you know, anyway, it's, it's like that. It was like that definitely for sure. Um, how, how to turn the tables on you. How are you both? How's it been going? I think we're doing okay. I think Sherry and I really strive not to say I'm fine because we're trying to break the healthcare. I'm fine culture. Um, and you know, what's interesting is we're Sherry and I work a lot together on well-being and resiliency, burnout, like all things like healthcare, healthy work environment things. And we seem to have like opposite off weeks, which tends to work out really good <laughs> because the one week that one of us is like, oh, but you've been making a difference here. The other person is like, yes, you are. And this is how. And so I can say like, I'm doing okay most days because in this work, because of Sherry um, and just like that, I know that that support is there like all the time and she like really gets it. (laughs) So um, I think, you know, ups and downs, just like everybody else and personal stuff that encroaches into like your professional life and you're like, no, (laughs) so, (laughs) you know, it's just, um, you know, it feels a little bit like you have to kind of ride the wave, but then also like figure out like how you maybe surf through it, you know? (laughs) So, um, that's how I'm doing anyways. That's a great analogy. You're on the surfboard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and right back at you, Marie, for sure. You know that um, I couldn't do this work, this really hard work right now without you. I would say for me today on February 17th, I'm doing really well. I'm about to go on to a four-day weekend. Um, This week has been so much easier than the past six prior to that. Um, Today is actually the last day of our redeployed labor pool on the front line because we restart surgeries in Washington state tomorrow on the 18th. So for me, um, today is a really good day. If you would have asked me 
two weeks ago, how I was doing, I probably would have been sucking my thumb over in that corner because Mm. I really um, have just, it's been the last, I would say six weeks have been among the hardest in the pandemic. And that's really saying something, you know, I have a new role. I'm called the director of professional engagement and nursing excellence. I've been doing that for about four months, but prior to that, For the three years before that, my role was the behavioral health clinical nurse specialist, and I supported our adult psych unit um, during several COVID outbreaks in a geropsychiatric population, largely beginning in March of 2020, so very early on in the pandemic. And so I rode a roller coaster of emotion in feeling the fear of, you know, our staff contracting COVID, me contracting COVID, bringing it home to our families you know, did the things where I sent all of my college age children away and had them living on off campus at their, you know, current schools when their schools were closed. So they weren't coming home and being exposed. Um, And I really rode a roller coaster that um, in the summer of 2021, I was kind of at a, a low and just really feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't know if, I can do this anymore. I don't know if I, I don't know if I have anything to say anymore. I, I don't even know if I want to talk about being a nurse or how much I love being a nurse anymore. Um, and so I really climbed out of that. Um, and so this past six weeks with the surge that we've all seen, the staffing crisis, redeploying our very, you know, amazing, but worried and stressed out surgical teams to, you know, areas they don't feel comfortable with. Um, it's been a time. It's been a time of times. Um, and so I'm really happy that today looks different, I would say. I totally agree, Sherry. And I'm curious, actually, Nicole, um, how you feel, you know, working at the bedside. But I almost felt like this surge was worse. <laughs> like it felt harder than the first ones. And I don't know if that is just a um, piece of my role because it's so much in staff support and like just helping people navigate through trauma and seeing that like cumulative trauma. So like the chronic and then now acute, like, I don't know if that hit harder for me and my position in particular, but it felt like back to, you know, the beginning and worse. So I don't, but I don't know if other people felt that way. Yeah, I don't know. I, I felt really, I mean, it did feel awful, I think, because we, everybody was out. And then, so we were so short. And then we were still surging. And, you know, we were just really strapped. Now, I coincidentally planned um, to take time off during this <laughs> surge, which I think was good. Um, so, you know, I protected my time, but, um, I did work a tiny bit of overtime, but, um, I think there was that, you know, I mean, I found myself like checking my emails a lot and just like trying to stay like in the loop of like, what's going on? How many COVID patients do we have? Like how are, how many people are on our unit are out? Like this heightened level of obviously like anxiety and fear, um, around it. Um, and then trying to balance that with like (sighs) reality. Okay. So this, this strain is probably not going to kill us when we're all vaccinated and you know, like it's going to be 
okay. I think divorcing myself from that same level of fear was like really, really hard. And I, I actually found myself like, you know, um, I don't know. I felt like when, where we work said that they were going to allow people to come back after like day five of being, having COVID, like I, I've, I just lost my shit. I just fucking lost my shit because I was like, they don't care. They don't wrap protecting me. Like that's bullshit. Like who wants to go to work sick? Like I just had this like intense reaction, like that, like nobody cares about us, you know? Um, so I think I felt like mortally wounded, you know, by our leadership, which, you know, I had to sort of work through, um, and, and props to Carrie and Azen Many. She called me and we talked, um, you know, about the reality of that message and, and, um, some of the science behind it. And, you know, and so I was able to calm down and, <laughs> but I, that was my biggest moment of like, no, nobody cares about us. Nobody. Yeah. And I don't think that's I true. That same reaction when just like the new CDC guidelines came out. And I think um, the initial like American Heart Association, like recommendations of like, you don't have to put on PPE before you go in and provide CPR. And um, like, I actually like texted Sherry. I think I was actually on vacation during that time. And I was like, I need to talk to you about this because my reaction, like from my viewpoint was like, how am I ever going to be able to make a difference in people's like lives and burnout and like, just like the mess that we're all in. If these are the things that are continuing to happen in our world, like, then this is like, my initial reaction was like this doom. Like this is like a, never, I'm never going to win this battle. Like I'm never going to, you know, it just felt like too much. So I can completely understand like that kind of reaction when we're like hearing things and all different levels. And like, it takes like, I mean, it took like a lot of voices to be like, no, actually we're not doing that, you know? And Um, even just like, you know, there was, I'm sure you saw, but just like in social media, just like that huge movement, especially for the AHA recommendations. And then they, you know, flip those around. So I just, um, I hear you when it comes to that stuff. It's really tough to try to understand in our like thinking and feeling parts of our brain of like, okay, I understand that there's like, some science and resources. And there's like this whole other like bucket of things that people are weighing and we have to make people a priority. And so how, how do we do that in a different way and still balance all of those things? And I would just add that, you know, something Marie and I have been quoting a lot. Um, Goli Johnson is a professor of social work from Eastern Washington University. And she said, probably a decade ago, when people perceive their organizations to be supportive, they experience lower levels of vicarious trauma. 
And so we have just been like touting that everywhere we go, because what you're describing, Nicole, when you say how you didn't feel supported and you felt like nobody cared, like that is trauma. That is where that moral distress, really moral outrage really comes from. And so I think what you did in that case by reaching out and getting an answer and feeling heard or feeling, you know, at least understanding the reason, the why behind that um, is a really powerful modeling for your listeners. Because I think sometimes we just internalize that. We just say, oh, like they don't care about me that, and we other uh, from leadership. And that there's never the opportunity to then connect and for leadership to see what your concerns are because they're looking through a completely different lens sometimes. So I love that you shared that you thought an answer to that because I feel like um, we should do that more often. Yeah. It's, um, it's just like Marie sort of is like highlighting. It's just been such a tough culture um lately where we you know um we've just collectively been through so much and then i think that's why this last surge was just so hard because again it was like let's do let's do more with less and and everyone's gotta make 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 their i don't know push through it again and like it's re-traumatizing and all this stuff so um I don't, I don't know, but I do feel hopeful because, you know, this surge numbers are going down. Our personal numbers at work, work are down. Like staff members, you know, are not like nearly out as much as they were during the peak of this last surge. Um, now to you guys, I'm wondering what, what, or how are we sort of thinking about this pandemic, uh, now as like healthcare providers. Um, I, 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 to be honest, I sent you both questions before the show. I don't know how, where we'll get to with everything. Um, and what we'll, what we'll touch on, but, um, and there's sort of big questions, <laughs> but how, how do you sort of feel about where we are with the pandemic and related to us as healthcare providers? How would, I would say that um, it was best said by an ICU nurse um, in one of our burnout sessions that we did, that the eye of the storm has shifted. And that, it, you know, two years ago, COVID was our biggest concern. And, and not that it's not anymore, because it certainly is. But what has shifted is now it's all about staffing. Now, especially this last surge, which is why this one hit so close to home is, you know, our three hospital system in Washington state at the height of it six weeks ago, we had 850 staff members out either with COVID or on quarantine. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I, I was telling everybody in my family, there was really not much in the news about it. There was, there was not, there was certainly nobody that I knew of was posting on social media, which I thought was fascinating. It's just like, we were just stunned. We were just exhausted and plowing through it. But I was telling everybody in my family, like, don't go to the hospital. Whatever you do right now, stay the hell out of the hospital because it is not a good place. I mean, we have opened so many and we I think we were providing still providing high quality care for the situation. But the way that I kept describing it and normalizing it to everyone is we're providing good enough care right now. 
mm-hmm. where I, I felt like instead of being the director of professional excellence or, you know, nursing excellence, I'm the director of nursing. That's good enough. Right? <laughs> because that's true. That's true. Yeah, I kept saying, it. like, I kept saying, like, it's really just, we just want you to be good enough. We just don't want to have errors. We want people to get well and get out of here. But like, we don't have the ability to provide the level of care that we want. Um, and so I think, you know, the shift, really, the American Organization of Nurse Leaders has said the three top priorities in healthcare right now. Number one is the emotional health and well-being of staff. The second is surge staffing. And the third is staff retention. That's where we should be focused. And those are huge. Those are big problems. I mean, I'm glad they're pointed out, but like, I'm from your guys' standpoint. You're probably like, well, how? Okay. Okay. How, how do we, how do we do that? <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, sorry. That's a, it's a lot. No, it is. And I mean, I think we've, um, at least, so Sherry and I hold these got what we call got burnout sessions, uh, right now we hold them weekly for, the anyone in our community or workplace community but um and really what it mostly is is just a support session so we just invite people to show up and be as anonymous as they want to be and really just share their stories of what they're going through right now and I think um probably a month ago the moral outrage was really really highlighted people were angry and stressed and upset. And there was a lot of like us, them, you know, black and white, like you just get trapped in that, which is a normal part of like a stress reaction, you know, but um, we've seen a shift. We've seen a shift in our support sessions, I would say towards more hope. People are looking to like, what can I do now? Like the self-efficacy and hope pieces a little bit more, which is, interesting and I didn't think that it would I didn't think that we would be there yet you know so I thought that that outrage piece and I'm not to say that people aren't I think they are you know just noticing like some trends in our particular sessions but um I think you know Sherry and I talk a lot about we follow (laughs) we've sort of like taken Patricia Watson's work with post-traumatic stress Uh, with the military as sort of like our Bible of like, how are we going to get through this? Because um, it's these five factors, right, that she's identified in her research from the beginning um, in like a stress continuum or stress first aid model. And that is uh, calm, safety, connection, self-efficacy, and hope. And so those things are what we keep like coming back to every time when we're chatting with people or even when Sherry and I are thinking about like, how are we doing? What do I need to focus on right now? You know, it's like if anchoring, at least for me, like anchoring in one of those things has been so powerful because it's like, okay, even if I can't do anything right now, I can make sure that I'm safe or that like a basic need is met, or that I feel like some sense of calm or self-soothing or whatever that is. But um, I think we've we've seen that shift from like just those safety and calm pieces that people need to sort of like just help regulate what's going on 
to, to, to what can I do about it? And I really don't think it's going to be like this forever. And so what is the future going to look like and how can I be a part of that future? And like things are going to are, have changed. They're going to continue to change. They have to because of where we are right now in healthcare. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, we're seeing some of that energy return where they want to re-engage in that a little bit. Um, and that being said, I think we're still seeing people that are like in basic safety mode of just like, how do I get through the day? So it's hard. I think there's just like such a wide gamut of what people are going through based on their own personal experience, like what their personal resources are, what they are navigating, like in their own life, never mind what's happening when they come to work. Uh, I've been waiting to, I, 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 to, to my own fault. I haven't really done any research, but like, I've been waiting for somebody to come use the tools that the military uses because this is what we've been, it's like, it's identical. It's not, it's, but it's really close. What will you just mention her name again? I'm sorry. Sherry, not Sherry. Sorry. What was the name Patric of it? Patricia. Patricia Watson. Patricia Watson. Yeah. And the, the model that Marie's talking about is called stress first aid. And we really try to infuse it in everything that we do. Like Marie is saying, when we're thinking about, um, like, so I'll give you an example. When we redeployed our teams from surgical services to cover the units, when we tried to do this two years ago, there was mass anxiety. We spent a whole day training them, you know, on IV pumps and, you know, uh, wound care and, you know, just a million skills that they didn't feel comfortable doing in surgical services. The same way that if we went into the OR and they were like, Hey, can you prep this person for surgery or ground them? We'd be like, what? Right. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's like, of course they could, they were asking these people to do something that they don't feel comfortable doing. And the stress and anxiety was so high. And last time people reported feeling unsafe. Um, in us trying to ask them to do this. So this time what we did was we came up with a model where we literally gave them like a half a sheet of paper with like 20 or 30 skills on it and said, circle what you can do. Circle what you feel comfortable doing. And when we go to the unit, so like we walked them to the unit, introduced them to the charge nurse and really intentionally created connection. Like, hey, this is so-and-so, they're gonna take great care of you today. This is so-and-so. Hey, can you show them where the bathroom is? Can you show you know, give them the code to the, you know, clean utility room, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and tried to intentionally create connections. Sometimes we'd like walk them by a unit where we knew somebody with like a particularly welcoming personality was working or something. So we could like stop and they could be like, we're a team, we're in this together. And then the self-efficacy piece is like, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. Um, and then I think the other thing that would be like, here's our phone number. Like, call us if you have any trouble today. If you can't get, if you have access issues, if you have anything. And I think that was like connection, self-efficacy, hope, right? And that went unbelievably well. I mean, it wasn't perfect. Nothing has been perfect. Mm -hmm. done. Again, good enough. Um, but one of the things I shared with them when we deployed them was we're aiming for good enough. So if you see things that could really be improved and you really like, okay, save those ideas for a month from now, right, but right now, just let us know if things are egregious. Um, and that works surprisingly well. So I feel like having that model to, as Marie said, anchor to and come back to like, okay, how are we creating safety in this moment? 
how are we creating transparency? How are we creating connection? Um, and when you're intentional about that, I think you really see how beneficial that model is. Mm. When I think too, because, and Sherry and I have talked about this a lot, is just like, there's been such an erosion of trust just in healthcare on a lot of different levels. And so that the way through that is transparency and authenticity and vulnerability and all of those things that not all of us are a hundred percent comfortable with or bought into, you know, or feels like a natural skill uh, or feels risky. So it, but it is, it's a big piece of like what we're navigating right now in our world is just that we're not sure that we trust each other. Mm-hmm. And that might be, I'm not sure I trust my coworker. I'm not sure I trust my leader. I'm not sure I trust my organization. There's just, it, it's been, I think, a consequence of just like the massive amount of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you think back to, uh, this is, I don't, mean to this to be painful on any level, but like if we think back to nursing or our healthcare system, like right before this pandemic, like I, we've been so beat up, like legitimately beat up. I think the people on the front lines have been totally beat up, I think. And not to say that anybody else out there hasn't been beat up. Like it's just been a really brutal experience, I think for everybody. And then I think I am biased, I think, particularly for healthcare providers. I think it's been for leadership and for bedside, you know, like I think um, it's been absolutely brutal. So like, um, I, I'm like, I mean, and you talked about this as one of sort of the initiatives of like working on well-being and emotional well-being, but like, how do we collectively, I mean, you said it, Marie, like, with transparency, but how do we move out, out of this or through this or like, or just we acknowledge that, yeah, this is like so hard and we've all been traumatized and, or, you know, we're not the same labor force we were, you know, and we're expected to be the same, I think, you know, and, um, that, that's where there's like inconsistencies, I think. And some of the frustration is like, you know, we're, 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 cha- we're changed. And, um, but I don't know how, I don't know. I mean, um, that's why I was like, some of the work is so, seems so big. Cause it's like, you know, we obviously need nurses. We need people to take care of people and, you know, and, and now there's this like great resignation and, and just, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what we do. I mean, what I've been really kind of thinking a lot about and putting a lot of energy into in the last, I don't know, six months or so is how important investing in our leaders to have what Marie's describing that authenticity. I mean, you know, AACN has led a lot of the work in healthy work environment and authentic leadership is one of their standards, their evidence-based standards for a healthy work environment. And I would argue that it's the most important one because leaders have an outsized impact on culture, a hundred percent. And so when you, you know, I've been around the block, 27 years of nursing, I've worked around, I can tell you, like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, I've left some jobs on like a slide, like with my middle finger up, heading out when I've been in a toxic environment. Not everybody does that, you know, and some people get sort of used to the way things are and it not being a healthy environment. And I really feel like that is so important to where we go next, because we need leaders with emotional intelligence. We need leaders who can hear people. We need leaders curious, who can listen, who aren't defensive, who understand when somebody is asking for what they need. You know, I mean, all of those things come from a leader who is willing to be vulnerable themselves. And so I, I feel like we cannot invest enough right now in leaders having those skills because um, I love being a nurse, but Sometimes leaders in nursing have been at the right place at the right time and not because they necessarily have that skill set that really brings people together mm-hmm. and um, creates a calm, safe, connected, self-efficacious, hopeful environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need leaders focused on that right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I think. I think that's our ticket. I, w- I think we collectively have been very lucky where we are um, with our leadership, nursing leadership. Um, even though I know that it's been challenging and it's been hard and all of that, like I feel very lucky and supported and only that really one time felt like, um, not cared for. Um, yeah, totally agree, Nicole. I mean, believe me, like I said, I've been around the block and I've been here for three and a half years and I'm like, what, what is going on? This is amazing. Yeah, it's good stuff. And, and people notice actually when they come to, like travel nurses come to where we are, it's like, oh, this place is amazing. Um, what do you think the way out is, Marie? I really, I agree with Sherry. I think like that leadership piece is so, so important. And I think, um, you know, what I, when Sherry was talking, what I was reminded of was something that um, I heard Brene Brown say on a podcast recently um, when she was talking about her new book, uh, Atlas of the Heart, where um, she was saying that, you know, she's an emotional and uh, emotion researcher and has been doing that for decades. Right. And she thought this whole time I've been trying to understand people, like, how do I walk in their shoes and like understand their story. And finally with this like last bit of research, she realized like, Oh, it's not really about me. Like being able to put myself in their shoes or like walk through their journey with them. It's about, me actually listening to what their story is, being curious, asking questions about it. And then my job is to believe them. Mm. And that's how I create that connection and understanding. That's how I walk in their shoes, you know, in air quotes. And that, when I remember listening to that, it stuck with me like so much. And I actually felt defensive when she first started talking about it, like where she's like, I don't believe in like, Uh, we have to like put each other in like, like we don't want to walk in each other's shoes anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then when she said that piece of like, we have to listen to their stories and then believe them. I was like, Oh my God, that's, that's it. That's what we have to do. And I think that's what we have to do 
for each other, like as peers, for as neighbors, as like a leader and someone that reports to that, you know, like, I think that is sort of some of that key is just that we have to be okay with everybody else's stories and how they're moving through things and be able to hold space for that even when we're exhausted. And I think that is part of the hardest piece because everybody's about three (laughs) seconds from the like last straw. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Not easy. I wonder like, I don't know. I'm like, well, I wonder how people sort of recovered from like the 19 flu pandemic, 1918 pandemic, you know, like, I mean, it was a very, obviously very different time, very different culture, very different virus. Um, but like, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think I have the answers. You know, I don't think we have what, you know, I don't think we have the answers like how, how, I I think personally holding on to hope helps me quite a bit. Um, You know, what's funny is I was actually, I watched, I was watching a Star Wars movie last night mm -hmm. and um, I know it's, I know it's Star Wars and it's a fake story, (laughs) but a lot of that story is about like, there's a rebellion and the resistance and, you know, there's this big enemy that we have to fight and like, how do we get through it? And I just like, I think after being going through everything in the last couple of years, like I was listening to that story in such a different way last night and everything that they said was like, it's so embedded in like hope and leaning out of fear and into love. And like those themes are just like weaved through the star Wars story, like over and over (laughs) again. But I just was like, it made me stop last night and be like, there are some like lessons here. I know it's like a story. It's not real life, but still I like those, those ideals, right. I think our drawing of like, how do we look more to the light, you know, and let that shine through brighter. So, so I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Sherry. I was just going to say, no, I, I love that. And I think, you know, what has made this conversation is really making me think about something that Marie and I talk about all the time, which is how the way out has to be a shared responsibility between people and organizations. I think when we try, sort of point this way, like it's your responsibility, that's when we like, you know, increase that mistrust that's happening. Um, and so organizations absolutely have responsibility for leadership development, for Things like, you know, emotional support and well-being and flexible schedules and, you know, granting vacations, all the things that are needed right now to try to move forward. But we also, to your point earlier, Nicole, about how we weren't in a good place to begin with, we weren't really in a good place as healthcare workers in 2019. Like, let's be honest, we have a lot of problems. And I think we have to be honest about the fact that sometimes we don't necessarily, and I, and I can speak to nurses in general on this one, because I've done a lot of like lit searches and discussions about how nurses often say yes, when they mean no, and we don't always have good boundaries, we will, you know, um, deplete ourselves at the, you know, other people. And 
And I think like we have to sort of own that piece of it. Um, one of the things that's really emerging as a best practice is this self-compassion. You know, Christian Neff's been doing work for years on the power of self-compassion to help you like sort of get back in the resiliency, the zone of resilience, right? When you're really out of that. Um, and I think that's something that we as healthcare workers, like we can think about like the voice on our shoulder that is sometimes critical or, you know, harsh or um, just not kind um, to ourselves and how we can sometimes be our own worst enemy. And a lot of the research you know, showing our high rates of anxiety and depression and um, PTSD, insomnia in healthcare workers really points to like, well, how were you doing before? Because if you were struggling before, you're definitely struggling now. Um, and I, I just feel like there's some work there for us. There's mm -hmm. opportunities for us to think about what is our own piece? I mean, to what you were saying earlier, like, does you just start with drinking water and packing your lunch or taking your vitamins? Like where do you start with like trying to climb out? But I think there's an opportunity to get to those things that we're um, maybe taking a little bit more ownership for ourselves as well as best practices. Mm -hmm. um, I think one thing, you know, I, I personally try to, you know, spend time in the space of like self-care and resilience and like, what can we do? And one thing that I think, and I think you both could probably speak to this of like this notion of like, well, if we just self-cared ourselves enough, like we would, we would, the, you know, but the problem is like not, that it's not going to fix any staffing issue, right? Like that's not going to fix poor leadership. Like that's not going to fix a lot of stuff. So, um, but I, I mean, it, certainly there's, I mean, most of the reason there is burnout or whatever is like 80% organizational. I don't know. And, and there is some component of our, that we have to take responsibility for, which I do think is super important. Um, you know, I just know that that's been like a, and I've had to watch it myself, you know, like this, like, there's just been a little toxic, toxic thing happening with some organizations. I don't think ours, um, like, oh, you just, you just need to be, I think we're just more resilient. This would not be a problem for you to take care of three and ICU I patients. I hate that. I hate that so much, Nicole. Yeah. Like it's actually like fingers on a chalkboard when I hear that, because it's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that healthcare is in this. It's not you having a resiliency problem. It's the environment that you're in. And that has to change like that. And I know what you mean. And Sharon and I say all the time, like, you cannot self-care your way out of this, right? It's not like, that's a piece. That's a piece of it. There is, it's yes. not the only piece. And there's like, it's so much bigger than that. And I think like the danger in like trying to like talk about skills that are in that like self-soothing, self-care space makes it feel like it's your responsibility. You're not resilient enough. You did this to yourself. There's something wrong with you that you shouldn't, can't handle this. And that is not true. Right. Do you know how validating that is to hear? Just to hear, just like, you know, for people in your, in your, both of your positions, just to like say that is really super validating. Um, I, I totally agree. And I, I don't mean it to be like, um, like I, I do agree with you, Sherry, about the self-compassion piece. Like I do. Uh, and I know we need to build those tools and, um, and we do need to take some responsibility. Like I, I think, you know, if we, if we're struggling, 
then we should look at like, what is it we're struggling with? Right. And, um, is this place the right fit? And, um, maybe if you're not satisfied, maybe it's time to go or, but, but, or how do you get reconnected to meaning and purpose in your work? Um, I don't know. Um, uh, I, on that note, how, how does one sort of get reconnected to purpose and meaning you think? Yeah, I think, um, really reconnecting to your values is I think one of the strongest ones. And I know Sherry and I both have like an exercise that we do with folks that are slightly different, but is in that same way. But the one that I really like, it's, um, like an exercise called ask why, and so it's like trying to figure out like what your core values really are, like what is it that's most important to you? And so if you're like, oh, I'm, um, I really care about helping people or, you know, maybe that's like my drawing, my drawing force is caretaking and then asking why until you can't answer why anymore to get down to like that core mm. value. So maybe it's like, I really enjoy taking care of people because, and why do you like to do that? Because it makes me feel like I have a purpose in life, or it makes me feel like I feel connected to people, or it makes me like, whatever that reason is, that sort of like, is that thing. So if it's like, well, it makes me feel connected to people. And that's the thing that I, that matters most to me then how do you lean into things that create connection? Because that's the thing that's going to keep you going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I just would echo what Marie's saying. I think the values thing that, that comes clear in Patricia Watson's dress first aid model. Like if you're having trouble finding hope, reconnecting to your values, like, are you in, and to your point, Nicole, are you in the right place? I mean, to be fair, are you doing the right thing? Um, you know, and are you asking for what you need? That's a really big one. Like, I know I've learned that lesson in my life multiple times. You know, I'm, when I started dating my second husband uh, 16 years ago, I've often told the story of how um, I said, you know, we, our daughters were five at the time. And I said, Hey, you know, can you pick up, you know, my daughter from school? And he said, um, Oh, I don't know. And I said, Oh, don't worry. Like, it's not a big deal. No problem at all. Um, and he said, yeah, I need to check with my daughter, you know, who's five, um, and see what she has planned, who's five. Um, and so when I, I thought about it all the way to work, and when I got to work, I called him and I was like, let me fucking tell you, like, <laughs> I am a single mom trying to make this work. And you're going to check with a five-year-old to see if that's okay before you pick my daughter up. And he, the reason he's my husband is because what he said to me is, Sweetheart, if we're going to be in a relationship, you're going to have to match how you feel on the inside with what you say on the outside. It sounded like it was really important that I pick her up. If you told me that it was really important to you, I would have prioritized <laughs> it. But you made it sound like it wasn't a big deal. And I was just like, Whoa. like that was so eye opening for me because it really made me realize. And, you know, to wait to your point, it's not like it's my fault that that's was my MO in life, right? I mean, we are the results of our life experiences, which many we have like no control over, but that was something I needed to unlearn if I was going to learn how to ask for what I needed, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, maybe three years of therapy later, I, I might have could do that a little bit. Well, it does make me I, think of that 
that piece of of um, Kristen Neff's work, which is having this self awareness and mindfulness, and so you need to be like like you said, you know, you have to be present with yourself and understand what's happening internally, so you can understand what it is you're feeling, and then I don't know, look at look at that. React, you know, choose to react, respond to that, choose how you, you know, I, I, I don't know that. Yeah. I think a lot of us, and, and I, and I did this personally with, um, that example of like, you can come back to work with, with COVID was, was my interpretation of the thing. I, that was a complete reaction. I just went like, I just lost my mind. I lost my mind. I did something I never do, which was I screamed about it on social media, um, <laughs> and cried. <laughs> we're all allowed our moments, right? We're all allowed our moments. But I mean, I like, I do like the idea that you can, I don't know, just be a little bit more self-aware. Um, that's so beautiful though. Like, um, it's so true. And how often do we do that? Where we're like, we're like, well, it's no big deal. It's just totally fine. And then you're like, no, actually it was a really big deal. It was like a super big deal. And, uh, and, there, yeah, we just need to be maybe more transparent and on how we're feeling. That's what you talked about, <laughs> transparency, Marie. Yeah, I just like it's just I totally agree, and I think we have to break this like I'm fine culture that we've built for ourselves, and that way to do it is to actually ask for what you need, and you have to be aware of what you need, right? But I think. There's been so many times, like, especially just with, you know, uh, running a peer support program where I've reached out to people and they're like, no, no, I think I'm okay. And I, I all want, and of course, it's always their like choice of like how much you want to engage and support. And I'll always respect that. But I think I always in the back of my head is like, is this just like our culture? Is this the, I'm fine. I'm just going to like shut it down and go on to the next thing because that's what I have to do to survive. And sometimes that is what we have to do to survive. And what would happen if we were like, you know what, I'm actually not okay. And I do need to talk about this and I am going to accept this help. And I am going to reach out to my friend, you know, those things um, are so powerful. I think, you know, and I'm really honest, like about my own mental health challenges that I've had throughout my life. But I would say, you know, for a good part of my life, struggling with depression was the biggest part of like my struggle with depression was I wanted to make sure that people, everyone thought I was okay. Like that was like masking that depression. Like it's okay for me to be depressed, like alone. And, but I need to make sure that my family thinks that everything's totally fine. I've got everything under control. Like I'm a happy person. I have a smile on my face, you know? And I think when my depression got to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't pretend that everything was okay every more anymore. And that was like so hard. And it did feel like, I mean, I often describe it as like my own personal, like, mental health crises because I had to break down and I had to finally tell people like, you know what? I'm not okay. I haven't been okay for a real long time. Mm. And when I finally did that, 
I can't even tell you like the amount of relief that I had of just like not having to like fake this story anymore. And what was so is still so like impressive to me is like the way that people showed up for me when I was actually honest and was like, you know, I'm struggling so much, like the amount of love that I was able to actually get when I said, I'm not okay. Um, that's what got me through that to get to getting help to getting linked up with the counselor to being able to like manage my own mental health in a way. And, and, and a lot of that is why I'm so drawn to this work because like I have been there like in dark times like that. And I get that. And I want people to feel like they have someone because I felt like I had someone when I was ready. And so I just like to share that because it's, I think that's depression, anxiety can look so different for so many people, you know, like it doesn't have to be these traditional ideas of what we have of um, like depression. I'm just like in bed sleeping, you know, it depression can look like I got up, I went to work, I did everything that I could do. I like performed at like my peak, (laughs) whatever. And then I went home and I went to sleep or I watch TV for like six hours until I passed out, you know, or whatever that is. And that it's like that functional piece that doesn't like, well, you seem, you don't seem depressed, you know, like those ideas I think are always so important to challenge because we really don't know what people are going through. And I just, the power of like, breaking down that wall or like letting it be broke down. I really didn't have a choice (laughs) at that time. (laughs) I just, I, I will never forget like that feeling. And when things start to get hard and that starts to come up and I start to feel like, Oh, I'm like, I'm telling people I'm fine or I'm trying to like make everybody else feel like I'm okay. It's like such a big key indicator now. Like, No, but remember, (laughs) remember what happened when you said you weren't and you got to, got to receive all of that help, you know? So I don't know if that helps anybody out there, but I'm sure, I'm sure it does. Uh, And, and I, and I, you know, I want to just piggyback on something that you said. I mean, well, this sort of relates to what you said, Sherry, about how, yeah, no, as nurses in nursing, the nursing profession was not fine before this pandemic. Like we were po- we were perfectly poised for um, a breakdown, like from a from a professional standpoint. But also, you know, I think for those of us that had have had you know existing mental health issues, like this whole thing has probably, you know, exacerbated all all of it. And I think that, you know, again, we're forced to, in our culture, to just be like, oh, I'm fine, you know, whatever, not not go deep. Um, But um, there is something so beautiful in asking for help and getting help. And um, I do think 100% that you sharing your story is helpful. Um, because if you can, then somebody else can too. Right. And it can feel good. It might not feel good in the moment, but maybe they're, they 
getting help can make somebody feel better. What do you think? Um, I know, so I know you hold these burnout sessions and you say that there's sort of been like a little bit of a change. What do you think? Um, can we go back to that piece of like, how do you think we are? Well, I mean, what the statistics would say, Nicole, is that we're not fine at all. They would say that about 75 to 77% of healthcare workers have some degree of what could be a clinical diagnosis of depression, anxiety, PTSD, or insomnia. Um, and that was, that's a smaller study done by Dr. Rebecca Hendrickson from the VA outpatient clinic in Washington. But there's a much larger study done by the American Nurses Foundation with 10,000 nurses. You know, they did three different well-being surveys throughout the pandemic. The most recent one was in September of last year. And those rates, 60, 70% of healthcare workers are suffering uh, at some degree. So I, I think maybe we're seeing a little bit of a shift in the folks who are coming to our got burnout sessions, maybe because two months into us doing these sessions, they're feeling a little more heard. Um, and maybe also, you know, the hope that we're all experiencing with this last dip um, in, you know, Omicron is really helping people to feel like maybe we are nearing the end and maybe this will be more endemic. Um, but what I would say kind of to what we've been talking about is I don't think most of us are getting out of this without some type of actual help. Like, I don't think we're going to, we're definitely not going to self-care our way out. Um, I think most of us, I know I've had therapy multiple times over the last couple of years, and I think we need help. Um, we need to seek, well, you know, we've got a great peer support program. Many organizations have that. We have our employee assistance program that traditionally is only used by three to 5% of people. I think the American Nurses Foundation say that 30% of nurses are using that now. Um, but I think we need to see higher numbers of people accessing actual help. Um, Do you mind just repeating those statistics again? Because those were... Um... Astounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the called the ATTEND study by Dr. Rebecca Hendrickson at the VA in Washington State. And in December of 2020, she looked at healthcare workers and first responders. And she said that 75 to 7, it was like 75% anxiety, 77% depression, 40% insomnia, you know, uh, 60% or so um, PTSD, like really high rates of people who have those clinical diagnoses. I actually reached out to her after I attended her presentation because I was like, what? How is this possible? Like, what are you talking about? Three quarters of us? No way. That That can't be possible. And she said, yeah, my study is from around the entire country and we've accounted for variables. And I think that this is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at, um, and, and it makes sense because the advisory board out of, you know, that consulting firm in DC, they have said we've had a 50% increase in behavioral health diagnosis across the nation. And the Department of Health in Washington state has said that, beha- that healthcare workers are disproportionately affected by that. So you do the math and at least half to three quarters of us are struggling. And so I think we have to highlight that. Mm. We have to normalize that. And we have to think about getting support. That's why roles like Marie's, um, you know, as a staff support specialist, you know, funneling people through our, our care for you program, our employee assistance program, our peer support program are essential right now. Like I probably send Marie two or three recommendations a day at this point of people 
that I run across that I'm like, they need help. They need help. Um, you know, I, I think that that's where we need to place focus. And I don't think we're going to get out of it without actual help. I wonder, I mean, I'm assuming that probably folks in the military have very similar rates. Uh, I'm like, I have no idea what recovery looks like, you know? I mean, like, how do we, I mean, it's too, you can't, I mean, obviously there's no way to know right now, but like of this, you know, three quarters of our workforce is like having a really hard time. Um, I don't know. I don't just like, I'm a little bit, I, I don't know. I think like, I, I'm not surprised on some level, um, but like, like, whoa, how do we take care of everybody? Like, how do we take care of ourselves? I mean, I think you, I mean, it does go back to the, okay. So then there is some, there's definitely some ownership on ourselves, right? If we, if we're struggling, um, although it's really hard to ask for help sometimes, but like, I don't know, what do we do with that? I know. I think, I mean, I think a piece of it is just like, like Sherry said, normalizing it. Like this is just like most of us are dealing with this right now. And so most of us should probably be in therapy and most of us should be taking advantage of programs that we have access to like in our community or at our organization, you know, and be like looking for asking for, those opportunities. I think, you know, I mean, one thing that I've seen like such like, positive uh, effect of is just like pet therapy and like animal assisted therapy. Like it is so powerful. It every time blows me away. Like I want to cry. Like every time we do any sort of pet therapy rounds or events, like we brought in therapy horses and different things. And just like, Oh, the amount of healing that happens in such a short amount of time with an animal is pretty spectacular. So, you know, mm -hmm. even, even looking for those types of things. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Marie, I love Marie's been doing an amazing job. She's like underselling her incredible like skill of bringing in like a horse wearing shoes to yeah you know. I saw that I was like I want to <laughs> be with that horse where is that miniature horse I missed that like I agree I agree that ugh. it's it's so powerful in fact it was so powerful that the day after the horses came to our campus I went and bought a zoo membership for my nieces and nephews and my mother like go to the zoo. You know what I mean? Like we need to be around animals more. Like that's what we need to do. Uh, and, and to be outside because you can walk outside and it's beautiful. I mean, I, I think it's all of these tiny little things, you know, there's this old Chinese torture method that is described as death by a thousand cuts. And I have been saying that I think our way through this is rebirth by like a thousand kindnesses to ourselves and others, because the evidence says we'd get just as much joy and dopamine hit from helping someone else. So it's really about leaning into kindness to ourselves, thinking about how we can help one another through this. I mean, the stress first aid model is all about how the military had 
so many people impacted that they couldn't identify even in themselves sometimes when they were struggling. And so it's like, how do you monitor yourself and your colleagues? Because your leaders aren't going to be able to catch all of you because there's too many. So then you're like, hey, I, I don't, I think you could probably get some help. Like, I think you might want to benefit from something, you know, um, just reaching out kindly to one another um, and just helping one another through this. I think, I, you know, those little tiny ways forward are the things that are going to really gain momentum over time. I think we just have to, to look for those opportunities. It feels like we have this um, uh, opportunity for profound healing um, uh, amongst ourselves and in our profession. And like you said, every, I'll just say everybody's having a hard time. So, um, you know, <laughs> we just really need to dig deep. And, and some things I, sometimes I like to say, like, we, we need to dig deep into the things that we love, right? Just like spend time there, hang out there, you know, like float, like in, in memories or whatever it is, like things that have brought us really great positive emotions can really help, I think too. So, um, but I, I, I do, Anyway, you, I, I realize that I've gone long on our interview and, and I want to apologize for that. Um, I know we've kind of gone all over the place in a really sort of difficult uh, conversation, you know, a difficult topic. And there's no easy fix, you know, right now, I think. Um, but I do I totally appreciate both of you for coming on the show um, to just talk transparently about us, how we're doing, how, you know, things that might be helpful. Um, do you have any last closing thoughts for the show? Um, Sherry or Marie or both of you? You know, Sherry, I think like what's just kind of like sitting with me so strongly, like to share is, um, the starfish story, because I think that I keep coming back to that over and over again. And, um, I'm not sure if we know the author of that, but how the story goes is just that there was a little boy throwing starfish back into the ocean and a man comes over to him and says, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm, you know, saving these starfish. They need to go back to the ocean. And, um, he was like, there's too many starfish. Like, you're never going to be able to like make a difference. You're gonna, you know, it's useless. Don't even like try what are you doing? And he looks back at him and he looks down and he picks up another starfish and he throws back in the ocean. He goes, well, made a difference to that one. And I think <laughs> that is like the things that we have to think about, like, because that's, that's really what we want to do. We want to impact like one person and that is cumulative, right? That is going to spiral. And so it's like, whose life are you making a difference for today? And maybe that's your life. <laughs> maybe you're throwing yourself into the ocean, you know, but I think if we, we have to stop and think like, what's that one thing today? Because those are the things that are going to get us through. I, that is such a beautiful story. I'm so grateful that you shared it well it's all share it's sherry found it she actually sent it to me when i was having a breakdown and was like 
I'm not making a difference. Like, it doesn't matter what I do. The meat's too big, you know? (laughs) And she texted that to me and I like read it and started crying. And I was like, you're right. And it's like, that was enough for me to like connect to purpose. You know, like it is, it is about like that person who needs it. We, Sherry and I oftentimes, um, Seku Andrews, who's wonderful, inspirational poet, um, we got a chance to speak with him a couple years ago. And one of the biggest pieces of advice that Sherry and I have just like anchored to so much from uh, that we learned from him is it's not, it's about who you're making a difference for. So he was talking about like inspirational speaking. And when he's scanning the crowd, he's looking for, okay, that person doesn't care or that person's engaged. Oh, okay. That person's engaged. So I'm going to talk to them. This is the life I'm saving today. This is the person that I'm here for. And so sometimes like when there's so much noise, being able to say like, oh, this is, it's for this person that I'm doing this thing can just like be such a powerful connector to like purpose. Sherry, do you have any last closing thoughts? I would just say thank you to you, Nicole, for creating this space. Um, You have no idea how many people you're impacting, how many people needed to hear something that was said in your show. Um, And I think that spaces that that are being created for healthcare workers like this are so powerful and so important right now. So I think I just want to thank you for being committed to that and for um, making a difference in the healthcare community because, you know, it's the cumulative effect to your point that's really going to make the difference. So thank you. Oh, well, I'm just so blessed that you both came on the show today. And I've just, <laughs> it wouldn't be the show if I didn't start crying, I feel like. <laughs> um but I'm just, you know, like these are happy tears, right? I think it's just beautiful, right? And um, I'm just so appreciative. Um, if anybody wants to find you, can they, I mean, can I link up how to find you um, on my show notes? Yeah. Okay. Share our email. Okay, great. Um, and um, I just, anyway, what a great uh, conversation. What a validating conversation. Um and, you know, I, I want to say, um, God, I might have to cut this out. <laughs> oh, don't. Don't cut it out because <laughs> we need that. I have a mantra in life. Speak your mind even if your voice shakes. I say it. <laughs> it's all the time. I, my voice is shaking on a regular basis. <laughs> I do public speaking and I have public speaking anxiety. <laughs> like, but I have something to say, so I have to get over it. You have to get over it. <laughs> I know you don't have public speaking, and I know you you're a public speaker. Oh, I have. I mean, I have anxiety for about that for sure. I was, you know, yeah. I guess what I was going to say is, you know, I can't say this without crying. I um, for the people out there, you're not alone. You know. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, we're all in it together, Nicole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's just a really validating. Um, conversation in time. So I'm going to just, um, and if you do feel like that, I would say too, because there might be people that are listening that do feel like I am alone that, you know, there's help and there's ways to reach out and we care about you and we want to make sure that you don't feel alone because 
it's so easy to feel that way. Even if you're surrounded by a bunch of people, even when you're going to work and you've got your patients and everyone that you're working with, it still can feel isolating and you can still feel lonely. And so I just, you know, if you wouldn't mind sort of like linking up, I think some mental health resources and just encourage people, like if you're struggling, it's okay. And please reach out. I will. I will for sure. Um, yeah, you guys are amazing. I so appreciate you so much. I, I will link up where to contact Sherry and Marie and also, um, mental health resources. So I, uh, yeah, on that note, whew, I'm going to say stay safe and stay sane and I'll see you on the next one. Whoa. I'm sorry. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.